The population of London grew at a rapid rate in the 19th century, and the city soon ran out of places to bury its dead. The answer was the creation of huge suburban cemeteries around the edge of the capital. Their grand monuments and more modest headstones connect us directly to the past, giving us compelling clues to fascinating lives. One local historian, Mike Gilfoyle, has made it his mission to uncover some of the extraordinary tales that lie behind the epitaphs at the Brockley and Ladywell Cemetery in South East London. More than 150,000 people are thought to have been buried in this leafy, peaceful resting place. Some famous in their day, some infamous, many deserving recognition once again. These are the stories behind the London epitaphs. Somewhere in the Brockley and Ladywell Cemetery, we can't be sure where, lies the body of Amelia Winters. All we know about her plot is that it lies in unconsecrated ground and that her burial was carried out in secret to avoid any crowd trouble. Amelia's name at the time of her death was Notorious. Only weeks before, an inquest had linked the 62-year-old Deptford mother to the deaths by poisoning of three people. Eventually, this tally was adjusted to five victims at least. Amelia Winters became known as the Deptford Poisoner. Why this ordinary woman was prepared to go to such shocking lengths to make money is forever lost. Her story is harrowing and deeply affecting. It begins at the end with the exhumation of a boy's body. Early in 1889, the police, acting on a tip-off and under the orders of the Home Secretary, exhumed the body of 11-year-old Sidney Bolton. The post-mortem found that the boy had ingested arsenic in small, probably regular, doses. Two other bodies were exhumed, a man of 74 and a woman of 47. All three of them had died in similar circumstances with the same signs of severe irritation to the intestines. All three were among 27 people whose lives had been insured of Amelia Winters. Contemporary newspapers paint a picture of a woman from an unremarkable background, her family having been based in Deptford for generations. As a younger woman, she had run a small general store and was known to have given credit to so many poorer customers that she had to give up the business. She moved with her husband and children to a new neighbourhood, but before long fell out with her neighbours. In fact, the Winters family were so unpopular that the other tenants presented a petition to the landlords asking for them to be removed. Their complaint was, in the language of the day, due to the quarrelsomeness of the family. Nowadays, we have them down as noisy neighbours or antisocial residents. This is how one newspaper described the matriarch of the Winters family. Mrs Winters, speaking to those whose good opinion she wished to gain, could make herself exceedingly agreeable, and though an uneducated woman had a considerable degree of cleverness. She was a woman of a remarkable type of character, resolute, commanding, and possessing great influence over those with whom she came in contact, imperious and intolerant of the least opposition to her will. She was the autocrat of the house. She let lodgings to single men, and it appears to have the art of making them comfortable, and they in many cases remained a long time, associating familiarly with the household. Several instances were narrated to us of little kindnesses done to the children of poor neighbours, such as supplying them with tickets to go on treats, etc., and the same way she was kind to her neighbours who might be sick or in distress, frequently sending any unusual luxury she might have to an invalid neighbour, 
and always liberal in her hospitalities to her friends. She was also a loving mother, proud of her children, and she had one little grandchild of which she took the entire charge for some years, treating him with great tenderness. It is interesting to note that these characteristics in a woman capable of such crimes as she committed. After the three bodies were exhumed, an inquest was called. It took place at the Brakespeare Hotel in Broccoli and heard evidence from the boy's father, Samuel Bolton. He explained that Sidney and his sister had been boarding at the home of Mrs Winters in Church Street due to the breakup of his marriage. Both children, previously healthy, had become seriously ill and the little girl had complained of feeling sick every time she ate anything. The doctor who attended her arranged for her to go into hospital, but Mrs Winters begged him not to send her and from that moment the child got better. Her brother also became ill after eating and suffered from convulsions and stomach pains. The children's mother, Sarah Bolton, came to visit and couldn't understand what was wrong with her boy. He was always very thirsty and desperate for cold water. She stayed with her son for six days and his death came as a shock and was entirely unexplained. At this point in the proceedings, the children's mother made a significant revelation. She did not know that either of her children were insured until after the boy was buried, and she was not the person who received the £20.12 shillings from the Liverpool Victoria office. Nor did she know where it was. She could write her name, and the cross on the receipt for the £20.12 shillings was not hers, and she knew nothing about it. She had not had any of the money. It transpired that Sydney was the last of a string of people under the care of Mrs Winters, had netted her considerable payouts. The first was a child of five who died in July 1885. The second was Elizabeth Frost, Amelia Winters' sister-in-law, who fell ill and died at age 47 and whose death brought in five pounds. Annie Bolton, a relative aged 63, came next. The insurance company paid Amelia eight pounds 14 shillings after Annie's death. Then came William Sutton, an elderly family member. He had been living in a workhouse but had been invited to the Winters home and died shortly afterwards on November the 10th, 1888. He had been insured earlier that year and £8.14 shillings was paid to Amelia Winters. The fifth death was that of Sidney, the young boy in Mrs Winters' care. His death resulted in a £20.12 shillings payout. The jury at Deptford Coroner's Court returned a verdict of willful murder. Amelia Winters' daughter, Elizabeth Frost, was implicated, accused of helping to falsify insurance documents. The two women now faced a criminal trial, but before she could be brought up in front of a jury, Amelia Winters herself fell ill with an unexplained condition. Shortly before her death, she was reported to have made a full confession in front of her husband and daughter, saying that she had no idea why she had committed the crimes and insisting that her daughter was not complicit. Amelia Winters died on July the 14th, 1889, before she could be brought to justice. Her body lay in the family home for days before a funeral, and the papers reported the constant presence of crowds outside. Winters' daughter Elizabeth Frost was, however, tried at the Old Bailey in July and found guilty of forging a document for the payment of money with intent to defraud. She was sentenced to seven years' penal servitude, but the charge of murder was withdrawn.
Only days after Winters died, there was an unexpected twist. George Deere, a 34-year-old miller who had lodged with Winters, committed suicide by hanging himself. He had been a witness in the case, but it was never clear why he killed himself. Some authorities say it was the thought of his having been insured by Winters that depressed him. Others, that he had played a role in the poisonings and couldn't live with himself. It seems astonishing now that the insurance companies never once suspected Amelia Winters in all the time she was collecting payouts. The inquest unearthed a lot that was wrong with the insurance business at the time and the deputy coroner directed much of his disdain towards the actions of the Liverpool Victoria Legal Friendly Society and the Prudential. To my mind, the facilities given by some insurance companies to affect wholesale life insurances are direct incentives to wicked persons to destroy such lives for the sake of the insurance money. I will first refer to transactions with the Liverpool Victoria Legal Friendly Society. In little more than three years, this society accepted policies from Mrs Winters on no less than 22 persons. The premiums being all payable to Mrs Winters. Five of these policies have been increased to double the original amount and of these policies during two years and seven months no less than five deaths occurred. And it should be particularly noted that two of these five were deaths of persons whose policies had been increased shortly before their deaths. No less than 12 shillings have been paid in respect of these deaths. And yet this society manifested no suspicion or distrust or considered that anything unusual had occurred with respect to these deaths. In fact, there was so much outrage over the ease with which children's lives could be insured that the Deptford poisoning case led directly to the tightening of the Friendly Societies Act. In the end, we only have the coroner's hearing to work on. Amelia Winters having died before she could ever explain her motives and state of mind. Her grave is currently untraceable. The crowds have gone and the memories dwindled. Her horrific actions must speak for themselves, even if she, herself, can never provide us with a public explanation. London Epitaphs was brought to you by Tempest Productions.